Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I talk with Terry Ryder about his property market predictions. So Terry recently produced a report called the Price Predictor Index, which is basically a report where he looks at the data and says which areas around the country he thinks are going to grow based on uh, based on some specific data that he looks at. But more than that, we spoke about what trends came out of the uh, out of the research, which was really interesting. We talk about how Sydney has become decoupled from the rest of the Australian market. We talked about the rising trend towards apartments and what areas are most affected by that. And we also talked about regionals and even talked about some very specific suburbs and areas that you might be interested in as well. So if you've got any interest in knowing where the market is going and what's really happening out there, then this episode is for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is a great friend of the podcast, Terry Ryder. How are you? Um, I'm good. Um, always excited to be talking about real estate markets, particularly in times like these, because um, now more than ever before, there's a disconnect between what's happening with real estate markets and what the media is telling us what happens is happening with real estate markets. So it's really important for people like you and me to try and provide some balance in the analysis so that... Um, People are interested in property investment and get some real information about what's really happening. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, there is so much doom and gloom right now. And it, and, and it's really interesting, right? And you and I have seen this over the last particular, well, you for much longer than me, right? But for me, particularly over the last couple of years, when the media and all of the, all of the not just the media, but the friends and the family and the, all of the, you know, all of the noise out there is saying the world's going to end and then... To stand out and say no, no, everything's good. You know, people, people, some people start to think that you're mad or that you're, you know, full of full of crap, basically. Right? Well, you've got a, a vested interest in talking up the market, perhaps. Well, this is but- this is true, right? And this is a challenge for me, particularly. Sorry to cut you off there, right? Because we do help people to buy properties. So I'm sitting there going, how do I, you know, I, I, this is what I, this is fact, not hype. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to like. I'm not trying to like pump up the market. It's just like. Look! Look at the information. How do you yeah. how do how do you help people navigate that? Well, look. One of my central themes at the moment is this: when a major report on price data is published, like Core Logic at yeah. the start of every month, don't read what the media says in the report. Get the actual report and look what the numbers say. The report is free; it's easily accessible. You can download it from their website. Yeah. Look at what the numbers actually say and ignore what media says in the report because there's a huge contrast between those two things. And so I think if people start doing that, they can have a better idea of what's really going on rather than, you know, I mean, the last Core Logic price report published on the 1st of June has precipitated headlines across the country saying prices falling across Australia. Yeah. But the actual report shows that prices have risen in 12 of the 15 market jurisdictions, the eight capital cities, the seven state regional markets. Out of the 15, prices rose in May in 12 of them, according to the core logic figures. And figures from other sources like SQM Research, for example, have even more bullish numbers. So if you actually get the report and look at what it actually says rather than read the media crap, then you're going to have a better idea what's going on. But I just got to, want to hit you with one other thought. Um, and this, I think, a significant find of the comparison website has done, they've got a consumer sentiment tracker survey they do regularly and the most mm. recent one they did on what people expect 
to happen with property prices. And the result was that even in cities like Sydney and Melbourne, the vast majority of people think prices are going to rise or stay the same. Only 20% in, in Melbourne and Sydney think prices will fall. Mm. And they're even more bullish in Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide. And what that tells me is people are just so fed up with media forecasting property prices to crash because it's been going on for years. Yeah. I remember when COVID struck a couple of years ago, prices were going to drop anything up to 30%. And what we got was a property boom. And people are just, I think, just saying, yeah, yeah we've heard it all before. We're just going to get on with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because I actually, as you were just saying that of the 15 regions, 12, 12 are rising, those specific numbers, I actually remember you and I, and we could go back, I think, there was a podcast that we did together. I'm, I'm going to guess that it was about May last year because I remember specifically the same thing happening. The media was saying, oh, property property market is going down or whatever, but it was like, it was 12 of twelve or 15 regions were going up at the, at the time. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like it repeats itself. And it's a really interesting uh, point on the fact on the consumer sentiment element as well because you know fundamentally there are it's a lot of complex uh, inputs going into property markets but fundamentally the way people feel about it is the thing that drives the value right so if consumer sentiment is saying you know the psychographics are saying yeah yeah it's going to stay this that'll actually dictate where the market goes yeah uh, I mean, there's, right. there's two, two interesting things about that survey one is that finder themselves didn't place great emphasis on it because they're like so many people are pumping out information about property, mm. trying to get free publicity. They know that if they put out sensationally sensational negatives, they enhance their chances of publicity. So finders nice. didn't make much play of this very positive survey. Mm. The second thing is that not a single media outlet in Australia reported the results of that survey, um, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. But I think I think you've touched on another. I think it really touches on another great point that which you kind of touched on there. I think people have got doom fatigue, right? I think there's just been so much like because what has happened with the proliferation of media, particularly like, so as the, as, as media has gone from print to online and then they tried to work out how to monetize online and then they, and then they've started to kind of get some traction and all of that kind of stuff. They've really, as we've talked about this before, they've gone more and more towards that kind of clickbait type, you know, get the, get the attention, get the clicks, get the eyeballs and all of that kind of stuff. So they turn everything into a massive issue. And I think everyone's just got doom fatigue because it, Every two weeks, you can almost time your watch to it, right? Every two weeks, there will be another major crisis. And I've, I've been watching this because I think that people's internal alarm systems only got about two weeks lifespan in, is it? Because, you know, war in Ukraine, two weeks later, okay, cool. People are like, okay, well, it's not that bad. Inflation, two weeks later, okay, well, that's all right. You know, uh, election, two weeks later, everyone starts to come down. It's so... I think everyone's only got about a two-week life cycle in any of this kind of stuff because they're all just getting burnt out with the constant doom cycle. Well, you know, I think you've actually come up with a, a new buzz term that I think is actually going to get some traction, doom fatigue. Doom I, fatigue. I think you're right. I'm having a lot of discussions about this with members of my team and also with my partner when we're sitting around the fire on these cold winter evenings. Um, you know, there's been so much, hasn't there, in the last two years with COVID and war in Europe and, and now we've got um, shortages and rising prices and people are just absolutely battered and bruised by it and media is just piling on with, with housing market stuff and I think people are absolutely fed up. I'm actually, you know, I've always known people have always like, yeah, you know what the media is like, but it's different now. People are actually angry about it. People are really getting angry about the way the media is just bashing us with negativity and they're utterly, utterly fed up with it. 
Absolutely. And I think there's another layer to it as well, right? Because not discounting the fact that, yes, uh, cost of living is going up at the moment because of inflation. And yes, during COVID, we had lockdowns. And yes, during COVID, people died. And, you know, not, not discounting the fact that there are realities that we all face. By and large, by and large, despite all of the doom that we get told, Everyone's all right. You know, by and large, everyone's okay. And we're still cracking on. And I think everyone starts to go like, what, 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 what even is the problem? Well, well look, at, look at the unemployment rate. I mean, yeah. you know, it's extraordinarily low and the property market has boomed. And, you know, yeah. the, you know Australia has actually ridden this wave ex- extremely well. And um, most people, I think, are doing okay. We don't um, discount those that are struggling, but um, overall, considering the times we've been through, uh, this country has, has weathered the storm really well and most people are in work and most people have property assets that are rising in value and um, generally, um, but, you know, media just, um, I don't, you know, I've, with my partner, I, she's utterly fed up with all the news. She stopped watching the evening news. She's just sick of it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll bring you some good news. So I start going through the uh, the newspapers like the Courier Mail and the Australian that I get online looking for some good news stories. You know, I cannot find any. <laughs> I've been going through day after day issues of the Courier Mail, which has turned into an absolutely appalling tabloid rag. It used to be a, a quality broadsheet back in the day, but um, I could not find a single happy, cheerful, good news story in any edition of the Courier Mail, and I've given up. Yeah. Well, well. Speaking of cutting through the media noise, though, you've released a, r- a report recently that is that I think is going to start to do a little bit of that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the price predictor index? Yeah, I really love this report that we produce. It's kind of um, you know unique as an overused word, but no one else is doing a report like this, and, and because there's this obsession with what's happening with median prices, and median prices are interesting. They tell us what's happened in the recent past, um, but we think that this report. Uh, is a forward indicator which tells us what might happen with prices in the near future because we look at sales volumes and we believe that the patterns with sales activity are a forward indicator of what might happen with prices. So in simple terms, if sales activity is rising, rising, rising in allocation, the prices will react to that and rise yeah. and it works in reverse as well. So what we've seen in this new winter edition of the Price Predictor Index, there's, there's one big exception to the general rule most parts of australia sales activity is still pretty strong and in fact very strong in most but sydney is the exception um in the second half of last year we saw a pattern where sydney sales activity was starting to fall away and in the first quarter of this year there was a dramatic drop in sales activity in sydney and then we're now starting to see that show up in some of the price data where we're starting to see some evidence of prices falling in some parts of the sydney market so that's what we do with this report. We look at every town and suburb in the country, what's happening with sales activity, and um, we construct this report where we categorise markets as either rising or plateauing or declining or consistency markets. Some markets just uh, just very level, no matter what's going on in the wider economy or the, the broader property market. And it's... Um, a good forward indicator of what might happen in prices and all those places. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about Sydney for a minute because you said that that's the one exception, that's the one major uh, exception to to the, the to the data. Is that fair? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what's what's I was going to ask what's the, what's the you know you, you said that property um, 
sales volumes dropped off a little bit earlier in the year. And now we're starting to see that come through in the in the price data. Have you kind of thought, have you had a look into like what the kind of lag is between those two moments or how yeah. how accurate can you kind of be and go, okay, if they're going up, then at this distance, you know, talk to me about that. Well, this this is the beauty of this report, and this is this is where it's valuable for for real estate consumers. The time lag is typically six to nine months. So you know, we we can see, uh, for example, a big uplift in sales activity, but it doesn't translate immediately into prices. It takes mm-hmm. time for the market to realise that things have changed, and particularly in the other direction. So um, Sydney started to sales activity in Sydney started to, to fall away gradually after the middle of last year but it was in the first quarter of this year that was a dramatic drop in sales activity so now we've got a situation where only 26 percent of sydney suburbs are actually still got a rising momentum Mm. Um, and that's the lowest ratio in the entire country by far and so it's um so the pattern of decline started say nine months ago and now we're starting to see evidence if we can believe the core logic figures of, of prices falling, although they're not price falling everywhere in Sydney, but the overall median price is starting to drop according to their numbers. Um, but that that time lag between a change in the market, as um, measured by sales activity and prices reacting, is something that investors can use to their advantage. That's really interesting. And I want to ask a question. I'm going to ask you a few things about this report because I've actually got the report, had a look at it. Cool, I like it. Um, but one what, what of the I want to just focus on Sydney for a little minute because one of the problems that um, and we've talked about the media at the start of this. One of the problems is that because the market capitalization of Greater Sydney is so big, right? What happens in Sydney broadly affects how you know, like the national averages and and all of that kind of stuff. So you know, when we see a big decline in Sydney, then that can make that can, if you then average out the rest of the country, you yeah. know, that can have a, a significant impact or certainly on the optics of it, which is one yeah. of the big points. Do you think, though, that Sydney is Sydney versus the rest of the country is becoming increasingly decoupled? Because I don't know yeah. that, like, if you went back 20 years, you probably wouldn't see the disparity between Sydney, the activity that happens in Sydney versus acti- activity that happens in the, yeah. in the rest of the country. Look, what I've observed over the last 12 or 15 years is that Sydney is usually the exception to the national rule. We've seen that again and again and again. And media thinks that Sydney leads the nation, and in fact, it doesn't. In fact, we've seen some of the idiots who work for Core Logic saying, you know, well, Brisbane's going to fall because Sydney has, and Brisbane usually follows Sydney's lead. Well, Brisbane never follows Sydney's lead at all. You know, I'll say it again and again property markets are local affairs. Um, mm. essentially what happens with property markets is dictated by local economic events. So what's happening with Sydney is not happening elsewhere in the country, but it does drag down the national average. So because of the weight of Sydney um, and the fact that it's falling, and the latest core logic figures, the national average result is a small decline, 0.1%, I think it was. Mm. Because of that 0.1% minus figure created by Sydney's situation, the headlines around the country saying property prices falling across Australia um, and ignoring the fact that in 12 of the 15 market jurisdictions, property prices are still rising, and in most cases, they're rising very strongly. So, yeah, that's that's the problem of Sydney. But it's usually the exception. You know, when Sydney was having its boom from 2013 to 2017, that wasn't happening in other places. It didn't happen in Brisbane. Perth and Darwin were going backwards. Um, and then when Sydney went into decline, Melbourne was doing the same thing as Sydney at that time. 
the headlines were saying you know, national downturn. Well, it wasn't happening elsewhere. You know, those two cities were on their own little, having their own little party initially, and then that um, post-party hangover. Uh, but that was not happening in other parts of Australia. So um, it's a really, yeah. it's a re- it's a really interesting point because the because um, a lot of people have got a concern at the moment that we're entering into. Uh, and like a period of an economic disruption, you know, there's talk about like, oh, is it going to be the next GFC and all of that? And look, we can wax lyrical about that. But what's interesting there that you pointed out is um, that usually the markets aren't all moving in the same direction. But what is what actually is interesting is is I recently did a, a bit of work, me and the team did a bit of a look into what happened during the GFC. Um, now, the last time that there was a major economic event, which the GFC was, that caused all of the markets to move generally in the same direction or, or, you know, caused a decline in national median sales price growth, right, in pretty much all of the 15 uh, regions was the GFC, which is pretty interesting, right? And you can kind of see that. You can see that on aggregate, <laughs> they that the, all of the markets, the, all of the 15 regions, went the median sales price growth dropped off. But, right, so you might think that that means that house prices went down everywhere. But the fact of the matter is 63% of, of suburbs in Australia went up in value at that same time, yeah. which is which is mad, right? Because then everyone sees that, oh my God, it's all going down. But then 63% of suburbs in Australia went up at the same time. And what's interesting about that, just going to dig into this a little bit further, because I'm going to loop it back. What's interesting about that is that when we looked at which suburbs went up in value versus which suburbs went down in value versus which suburbs stayed the same, the suburbs that went down in value were the higher quartile, so the more expensive suburbs. The suburbs that went, and they on average went down by about 7%. And then the the, the lower quartile uh, suburbs, the lower lower price suburbs went up by an average of 9% over the, over the period that yeah. we looked at. So what that says to me is that even when you've got these kind of like national trends, like as you say, property markets are a local affair, 63% of suburbs are still going up. And there was a pressure towards affordability, which because that's what people do when they're uncertain. What, we've got very similar things happening right now because we're seeing that trend um, in Sydney overall activity down. But mm. in the more affordable areas, it's, it's holding up pretty well. In Melbourne, even more so, the top-end suburbs have dropped, but the more affordable areas are still as strong as ever, and the apartment markets in the inner, inner part of Melbourne have got rising demand. Mm. Um, but um, just picking up on that, that point about a period of economic disruption, and, and economists always say, oh, you know, the economic uncertainty prices are going to crash. What we've observed is that in periods of economic uncertainty, Property markets strengthened, and we've yeah. seen that again and again. At the start of this century, we had the dot-com crash, and we had 9-11, huge economic uncertainty around the country, share market disruption, but out of that came a three-year property boom in Australia. Mm. Then we've got the GFC in 2008. In 2009, property prices rose in Australia. In 2010, they rose more. Mm-hmm. And now with COVID, all the economists forecast properties would, prices would crash, but we actually got a property boom. So and, and I'm going to add another one in there for you, Terry. If you go all the way back to 87, right, which was Black Black Monday or whatever it was when the stock market yeah. crashed, what happened in 88, 89? A most extraordinary property boom. So what, what is very, very clear as a reaction in this country is that when we have times of great economic uncertainty, people retreat. I know it's a cliche, but it's true, to the safety and solidity of bricks and mortar, and we mm. see property strong. So... 
The economists, I don't know, they're not students of history. Um, they certainly don't do any research on what's happened in the recent past before coming to their conclusions. And that's why they keep getting their forecast of property prices wrong. And right now they're forecasting a, a big drop in property prices for the simple reason that interest rates are, are rising from a very low base. And I think they're going to be wrong again, but they'll manage to shrug that off and carry on regardless, as they always do. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's 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 really fascinating, isn't it? And I think that there's a really interesting, really logical reason why that is the case. Why property performs better in times of uncertainty? Yeah, safe as houses, bricks and mortar, all of that. It's because the asset can't go to zero, right? Because the think about it, like a company can go to zero. A company can go bust and be worth zero dollars at the end of the day, right? It just fall apart, right? But property can't go to zero. And so when you're thinking about what is the um, best risk-adjusted return that you can get, it's it's real estate, right? Because it's a real asset. Yeah. And and it produces, right? Because at the end of the day, intelligent property investors are value investors, just like Warren Buffett. They're looking for real assets that produce. So it doesn't freaking matter what economists say because they've got a real asset that produces regardless of what the rest of the market says. Yeah, and, and property doesn't do what share markets do. Well, share markets can absolutely collapse in a day. Mm. And, and and lose like five or ten percent of its value um, in in twenty four hours. Real estate never does that. There are periods when real estate can drop, but it doesn't lose five percent in twenty four hours. It's so solid and mm. and it's slow moving, um, and that you know people like that. They they can depend on it and feel safe with it. And so when times are uncertain, um, that's where people turn. And um, I think we're we're seeing it again. Yeah, awesome. So, what other um, what other big trends or key takeaways did you get out of putting together the um, the winter edition of the Property Price Predictor Index? Firstly, we've talked about what happened in Sydney, but that's very much the exception. Um, elsewhere in Australia, um, sales activity levels have held up very well. Um, in some cases, are the best ever. Uh, we're still seeing very very strong price performance in most parts of the country. The standouts for us are the smaller capital cities and the associated. Uh, regional markets. So it's Perth and regional Western Australia, Adelaide and regional South Australia, Brisbane and regional Queensland. Um, and as a bit of an add-on, Darwin, which never gets talked about, is actually doing really, really well, um, really strong, but no one ever pays any attention to Darwin. But it's actually um, a rising market, very strong, the highest rental yields by far in capital city Australia. Very low vacancies. It's worth considering, but no one ever does. Yeah, but the, but but the problem the problem is right because that that is that may very well be true. And I don't want to rag on Darwin right, or the Northern Territory. Great places, great people, wonderful, good stuff. But historically, it's been a little bit more volatile, right? And yeah, yeah, it, it is. And that, that's the problem with Darwin. Um, and I'm not recommending people rush out and buy in Darwin. I'm just noting that it's actually in a period of strength. But it is volatile and people need to be aware of that. Now, the, the real takeaways for me are Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide and their um, related regional markets are other places that are showing the greatest strength at the moment. That's showing up in a number of ways. You know, we I always construct um, a thing I call my national top 100 supercharged suburbs. And this is based on the patterns of sales activity. These are all suburbs where sales activity over the last, say, 18 months has just been going up, 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 up. In some cases, extraordinary growth in sales activity. Um, and more than 20 of the locations on that National 100 are Perth suburbs. You know, I didn't realise until, until I went through and counted that Perth had been so strongly represented. 
um, more so than any other part of the country. And it's, it's a market that's um, not getting the attention it deserves. Um, I think it's actually a market that, that's really on the rise for the first time in you know, a decade. Um, great value for money. It's the, now the most affordable capital city in Australia. The economy, local economy is strong. The local state budget is stronger than anywhere else in the country. They're spending big on infrastructure. That They are aware that their economy is vulnerable to the resources sector, so they're working to broaden it. Mm. Um, and having some success with that. And I just think it's um, really worth consideration at the moment. Yeah, 100%. And I think that it's a really interesting point that you've got there because, you know, markets do move and change all the time. And I think that generally speaking, a lot of people, their thinking is behind where it needs to be in, to, in, in order to get a, get ahead, you know, because you could argue that, that a lot of the, you know, like Brisbane – yeah, great. It's been going well, but probably the better time to buy in Brisbane would have been like two years ago or 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 whatever before it started to kick off. And you're kind of seeing that same thing in in WA now. You know, we've transparently we've been buying there for, geez, I don't know, well over twelve months, maybe eighteen months now or something like that. But we're still, I think, right. We're right at the start of that curve. Like I think it's yeah. right. It's right at that transition where it's about to pop. And you watch in the next sort of six to 12 months, that's going to be the the city that they're all talking about. And yeah. that's, but then that, interestingly, that's the moment that you need to then switch and go, okay, where are we going next? How do we stay yeah. ahead? How do we shift? That's right. And, and the problem is um, for most investors that they're herd animals. Mm-hmm. And I think Adelaide's probably the best example of all because I've been banging on about Adelaide for years and no one's been listening. That's the way it's felt because I can see that Adelaide, which has a reputation of being a low-growth city, was was changing for the better in, in important ways and that it was going to be a great place to own real estate. Now, everybody wants a piece of Adelaide. It's become the most frenetic, most competitive market in the country uh, to the degree that people just give up because it's too hard to buy there. It's, yeah. it's selling so fast. Yeah. But you know, the smart people were there a couple of years ago, but you know most people aren't that smart. They hurt animals, so now they're polling it. Yeah. And the point you, you made a moment ago is that people need to be ahead of these things and so they need to be listening to, to really smart people like you and me, telling them about the places that are going to show that sort of growth and get in before the masses do because um, you're trying to get into Adelaide now, it's almost impossible. Uh, but if you were smart, you would have been there two years ago. Now, Perth is, is quite early, I think, in a curve and um, you know, people should be... Um, getting there now, not not waiting until they read that Perth's grown 25% in the last 12 yeah, I reckon it's on the precipice, you know, like on the ground feedback. I reckon it's on the precipice of almost being at that, like it's crossed, it might have almost crossed the chasm, you know. So you've got that, you've got the, you know, have you ever, have you ever read um, Jeffrey Moore's great book called Crossing the Chasm? Right, so- I have not, but um, now that you've recommended, I will because all your recommendations of books, to read all come up trumps for me. Well, um, I'm not going to recommend you read this one. I'll give you the synopsis, Terry. It's not like it's okay, but the quick synopsis is that there's basically an adoption curve for any for any uh, technology. It's written about technology, right? But you've got the um, you've got the technologists, right, who are like way ahead of the curve and they'll test anything out even if, if it breaks. Then you've got the early adopters, right? Yeah. And, and then you have a big gap between the early adopters and the um, 
and uh, and the early majority, right? There's a big gap, right? And it's when that chasm gets crossed between those two points that's when it starts to become mass. And then you got the and then you got the late majority, and then you've got the decline after that. And it's a very interesting way to think about how that applies to psychology around property markets too, because we've been in the situation loads of times, and I'm absolutely certain that you have been as well, where you're saying, "Hey, everyone." Look at this. Let's go there. And everyone's going, nah, you're mad. You're mad. That's not, not, that's rubbish. Don't go there. And then all of a sudden it crosses the chasm <laughs> in the psyche, in the psyche of the populace. And then it's, it's frenetic. So, yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, the, the, the secret to success really is, is, is detaching from the herd, um, and either running in the opposite direction or, or maybe leading the herd. But, yeah, uh, most people I think leading the, the herd. herd, being a pioneer, I think is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. So, so you know, we're, we're seeing good um, and useful patterns for people to be aware of um, in the outcome of this um, new edition of the Price Predictor Index. Um, affordability, people chasing affordability is a big pattern, uh, where even the cities uh, like Sydney that are down, the affordable areas are still holding up quite well. And that's um, not just the sort of the outer ring suburbs for houses, but also um, some of the apartment markets. And that's another trend that's emerging yeah so let's let's talk about that right because obviously we kind of touched on the fact that there's broadly speaking a probably a i think you could probably say a compression towards affordability uh at the moment generally which is you know mm. reflected in um some of the more affordable capital cities and also regional markets but then in the major capitals where the markets are generally more expensive that's kind of showing up in apartment activity is that right that's right there's really I suppose, four manifestations of the, the affordability thing. One is the, the smaller, more affordable cities mm. are the leading ones. Within the bigger cities, it's the affordable markets um, that are doing well and including in some of those um, smaller capital cities, the market's being led by the affordable end. Then we've got the, the trend, the exodus to affordable lifestyle, so regional market's still very strong. But this this fourth one, which is quite kind of new, I think, and that is... And um, we're seeing an uplift in buying in suburbs where um, apartments are a big part of the mix, um, particularly in those areas where median price for apartments is less than half the median price for houses. And we're seeing that in uh, both Sydney and Melbourne. In some suburbs, uh, in the inner city rings, um, apartment prices are about a third of mm. house prices in those suburbs. And those are the places that are really being targeted, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I was talking to someone recently who uh, wanted to buy an apartment in uh, Western Sydney, uh, and they actually got told by the bank that they would have to have a thirty percent deposit because the risk profile from the bank had changed, which I thought was really interesting—a really interesting perspective. Well, the- yeah, I mean, let's face it: the banks haven't got a clue about housing <laughs> markets. I mean, look look at their forecast. I mean, it's their, it's their business to know housing markets better than anyone else, but in actual fact, they don't. No. And, and so, some of the criteria they apply to lenders, you know, some of the risk ratings to certain locations are just ridiculous. They're like five years out of date a lot, a lot of the time. And yeah. so that, they're going to have to catch up with the fact that in cities like Sydney and Melbourne, apartments are a big part of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly areas that are areas of risk, like, the, you know, prone to oversupply. Yeah. But um, most parts of those cities with their apartment markets aren't like that. You know, suburban apartment markets don't have that same area of risk. 
And we've seen around the country, actually, in this, this latest analysis I've done, what's really stood out for me is, is the extraordinary level of growth in apartment medium prices we've seen mm. in some places, not everywhere. Yeah. But on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, um, some of the city markets, we've seen a really big uplift in medium prices for apartments. And I think, you know, more and more people are actually choosing that lifestyle. We're seeing older people downsizing to apartments, and that's a, a big growing cohort in the market. Young people who want to buy in good areas and can't afford ha houses, um, they don't want to go out to the fringes, so buy an apartment. It suits their lifestyle anyway, low-maintenance lifestyle. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a re-rating. Um, yeah. Um, do, you think, do you think that's going to become a, a bigger and broader trend? Because, um, you know, a couple of reference points I'll throw in here that are probably worthy of discussion. So in the US, uh, there's a massive, like it's a huge trend towards renting. Home ownership, home ownership is on the decline, and and most people are just renting. And so, as a nation, that seems to be the general thread of where people are going. Then talking, um, talking to some you know real estate agencies, uh, principals and stuff in major in 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 regional hubs, right? So you know they're talking about the critical lack of supply and the critical rental vacancy rates and all of that kind of stuff and just how hard it is for people to get a place. At least these towns, their their economies are booming, but people literally have nowhere to live. Like to to the point that like, you know, their people are starting to split up rooms and do all kinds of stuff to try and make things work. And so there's potentially a trend there. Where we might actually see more apartment growth as a, as developers and stuff move into these areas as well and start to build more, you know, because people are looking for places to live that are more affordable generally. So do you think we'll start to see more apartments even sprouting outside of the capitals? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it, it's it's going to be there's going to be less need for it outside of the big cities because you know houses are still affordable in many places mm -hmm. for, for most people. Um, Although, you know, just the supply of rental properties is, is just another issue um, which isn't being addressed by anybody. You know, it's extraordinary. We've just had a federal election campaign in which they talked about housing affordability, but there wasn't a single word about the rental shortage, which is yeah. a much bigger problem and needs urgent attention, and the politicians seem oblivious. Um, we've had um, the Brisbane City Council pretending to, to do something about it by hitting people who Airbnb there rental properties in Brisbane with massive rates increases. Well, mm. you know, people using Airbnb aren't, aren't the major part of the problem. It's the lack of investor activity generally that's yeah. been happening over five or six years that's led us to this shortage. Um, but just going back to that um, first point, I, I do think we're going to see more people for various reasons, affordability being one of them, but also lifestyle is another major mm. motivation opting for apartments in various ways, and um, but it's mainly going to be, I think, a big city thing um, mm. because, you know, affordability is, is, is the major driver of the trend. And this, now what we've seen in this latest boom is there's been a widening of the gap between apartment prices and mm. um, house prices. Um, I wrote something for Money Magazine about this recently. Um, the gap was already big in Sydney, but the gap has got bigger in this latest boom because the rate mm. of growth for Houses has been more than the rate of growth for apartments in this latest phase. And so there's a yawning gap now. You know, it's like half a million dollars and the difference between the median prices. And so that's um, that's a gap that people can jump into and say, okay, 
all right, and I, I can't afford to buy a house in Hawthorne or, um, I don't know, one of the inner west suburbs of Sydney, mm. but look, look at the price of apartments. It's, um, it's like a third. And one of the things I did with the price predicts index, because I'm interested in this, um, was just take note of what's the normal ratio between in a, in a suburb between house prices and apartment prices, and there's huge variations. But the standard norm is, say, about apartment prices median will be about 60 to 70% of the, the house median. So mm. we've got suburbs where apartment prices are a third of house prices based on the medians. Then you've got something that seems to me to be an opportunity. Mm. Uh, anyway, a really good suburb like Hawthorne or Richmond in, in a Melbourne, trendy places that people want to be, um, and typical apartments are about a third of the price. Why wouldn't you as a, as a young buyer? It seems to me like an opportunity. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, there's still the same considerations that you've got to have with apartments. So you've got the you've got potentially additional costs with strata and all of these other kind of factors. Yeah, and also potentially supply risk issues. You know, <laughs> people have been asking me probably over the last six months. Oh, do you think apartments will ever have their day? And I'm like, yeah, it's now. Like it's it's now. They're like, there's really good opportunities in some markets for apartments but you've got to still be cognizant of the of the risk so you're right like in a highly highly suburban and already already dense uh kind of location with very little development op- opportunity the risk yeah. profile is a, is certainly a lot lower yeah um but then obviously if you have got kind of <laughs> broad broad acre developments you know like there's pockets around uh footscray in melbourne and obviously docklands in melbourne got oversupplied brisbane in large in a lot of parts got oversupplied as well because they just went hell for leather instead of building huge high rises but if you've got those smaller pockets those already established residential communities with smaller developments i think there could be an opportunity there yeah so um and I would urge people if they're thinking about going down the apartment route for investment or for a home, mm. you know, look at sort of boutique style apartments. Don't go for the you know, the generic high rises. Avoid the docklands and the south banks. I would suggest. But you know, in Brisbane, you know, there've been too many apartments built in South Brisbane and Fortitude Valley. But then, right next to Fortitude, you've got New Farm, which is the most expensive suburb in mm. Brisbane for houses. And you've got, you know, I mean, I've got friends. Um, we're visiting this very weekend. Who have got an apartment and a little boutique block in um, New Farm, and it's shown fantastic growth because it's a little, you know, it's got a point of difference, and it's and it's in a suburb where there isn't high-rise apartments, um, and and that's something that can't happen there because of the zonings. Uh, so that's the sort of thing to look for, I think, um, when you, if you're thinking of going down the apartment route, you know, avoid the the generic, you know, buying in a building where there's 200 just like it. Um, and, and go for the boutique apartment uh, sort of uh, project and you might get something that's got some character and a point of difference and potential for growth. Nice. Now, I'm going to ask you a specific question and you can deflect this at, at will if you want, but you've got your supercharged suburbs in your national top 100 in your price predictor index. Do any stay, any particular, I know you've generalised, Perth's pretty good, but hey, you know, it might be starting to get a little bit active there. Any particular suburbs that stood out or any any unique ones that you were, I know you spoke about um, Darwin being a, a bit like, okay, that's well, that's happening, but were there any unique suburbs or anything that, that stood out to you um, that, that people should be paying attention to or just an interesting one? Um, well, let me just, because um I'd love to have a memory as good as you think it is, but I don't. Um, so I've, I've now so I caught it up so I can look at it. Um, 
Yeah, I did mention that uh, it struck me when I went through the list that how many, how many Perth suburbs were there. Mm. Um, but, you know, I put um, places in these lists without fear or favour and I try to put aside my, my biases and mm. sometimes I'm putting places there that, you know, are not places that I would necessarily recommend to people go and buy, but nevertheless the numbers say they deserve to be included. So they're not recommendations. They're not no, they, no, they're not. They're just, <laughs> these are the ones that stand out for the numbers. Now, Brisbane City, for example, mm. you know, I've always been, you know, urge caution. Inner city Brisbane, I've been through that period of oversupply. Um, you know, there's been no value growth. People who bought there 10 years ago, the apartment's still worth the same. You know, it's like surface paradise mm. um, on the Gold Coast. Um, sometimes... Um, you know, its numbers are compelling for a list like that. Well, it's not on this current list, but um, there's been no value growth because of oversupply. So, but Brisbane City is on this list because when I look at the pattern of sales volumes, um, you know, 18 months ago, a typical quarter was about 110 sales, and now it's risen every quarter since then. So now it's like more typically 240, 250 sales per quarter. Mm. So That's for units though, right? That's for their yeah, units. Well, yeah, well, there's, there's no houses in the Brisbane yeah, CBD, but there are plenty of apartments. So th this is a market that I would not normally recommend to people, but the sales volumes figures are quite compelling. And it, it is indicative of the trend that we've just been talking about, in fact. Mm. So, you know, that's it's interesting that that's on the list. Um Cairns City, which is like the CBD of Cairns. Again, this is an apartment market, um, and um, it's it's on the list because the number of sales there has just been rising quarter by quarter for the last two years, from not very many to you know really spectacular numbers. Um, so those are, are some interesting inclusions. Um, a lot of the places on on this list um, are affordable suburbs in in sort of some of the smaller capital cities, but then you've got places like, I know we've talked about this little location before, um, Inverell yeah. and also Glen Innes. They're not far from one another in uh, regional New South Wales. Um, I would normally say to people, no, they're too small and the economy's too narrow, mm. but nevertheless, you know, people are buying there in big numbers. And, you know, look, look at Inverell. You know, two years ago, the typical quarter was about 40 sales per quarter. Now it's now it's over 100 um, per quarter. Um, and in Glen Innes, which is a town that I've been through a few times and I like a lot, I like the character of it, um, you know, it was just doing 20 sales per quarter. Now it's doing 60 or 70 per quarter, and it's been rising steadily. And we've seen prices reacting to that. So these are places that you, know, you wouldn't necessarily recommend as um, this is the best place you can buy in Australia, but um, something is happening in these markets. They're indicative mm. of trends. And the trend in this case is, well, that incidence to affordable life. People are moving to these places because uh, affordable, rural lifestyle and, um, you know, safety and community. You know, yeah. I, I live in a, a country town where there are no traffic lights. You can get a park in the main street. Um, it was a great place to raise the kids. You know, you always felt safe, wonderful sense of community. And these places, there are some of these places on this uh, supercharged suburb lists are indicative of that trend still very much. Well, it's uh, a, it's it's about it's about portability, right? It's about mobility because, and we've talked about this a lot before because you know with the advancements of technology and connectivity and you know work from anywhere and all of that kind of stuff, but then also even internal transport, you know, like. You know, I don't. I don't normally. You know, for obvious reasons, I don't normally uh, talk about specific suburbs either. But I would say, 
Ganada is a great example of a smaller regional town with huge prospects. And I note that that's also just cheap, cheaper than one in your in your supercharge there as well. But I think that's I think it's a cracker, right? <laughs> Sales, yeah. volume, sales volumes are on the way up. Economic opportunity is massive. They've had record cotton harvests. The price per bale of cotton has doubled. So that's millions of dollars popping in the economy. They've got daily flights between Sydney and Canada. So if you live yeah. there and you need to, it's, like, it's all of these different factors that people yeah. don't, don't consider and, about these regional economies. And Canada is on the list of the current list of 100 supercharged suburbs. Um, and the sales activity has risen a lot. It's a good place. I, I really like Canada. I've been through there many times, and um, I just like the fabric of this place. And it's, it's got, you know, it's obviously an agricultural town, but it's got some big resources action, and mm. it's also got um, tourism. And it's um, it's not actually on the route of the inland railing, but it's nearby, so it will mm. get uplift from it. Um, well, it gets uplift uh, from from the from the inland rail route, but then also from other uh, more major economies like Tamworth and stuff yeah. like that as well. There's a lot of overflow there. So, and also, you know, there's a big movement um, to building alternative energy, and it's been increasingly encouraged. And the change of federal government will help that. And areas like Canada is getting some of that action. Other inclusions on this list that you might be interested in: um, the we've talked about these places before, the Iron Triangle towns Ooh. of South Australia. Wyala's on this list, massive uplift in sales activity. You know, it, it's, it's actually, its sales numbers are now more than, remember that previously 10 years ago had a big boom related to the resources boom. The, the sales numbers now are even bigger than they were then. Port Augusta is also on the list of 100 supercharged suburbs. Massive, massive increase in sales activity in Port Augusta. And you and I sort of understand why that's happening. Yeah. Um, Port Perry is not on this list, but I do know that it's also increased. Um, it's a rising market for sure. So, yeah, it's some, of, some of the inclusions are surprising, but we, we put them there because the numbers say they deserve to be there, and it's interesting um, because they, um, they do show different things that are happening in the country at the moment that um, might, might otherwise um, pass people by. Yeah, but I think what's important for people to remember as well is that um, – Data is good, but you also need insights. You know, information is one thing, but insights is really what's important because in some of these locations, yeah, maybe the sales volume is going up and maybe prices are going to rise. But what you actually need to do to, de to decide if it's going to be the right investment opportunity for you is to actually understand what are the underlying reasons that that activity is happening and what is the future? You've got to look forward and say, okay, what is the likelihood that this is going to continue or stabilize? Or, you know, how could I understand if this is going to be a, you know, a good long-term opportunity or a good short-term opportunity? And what, how, would I, how would I make that good, uh, the right investment decision around that? So I think that's kind of the critical piece to understand as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great time, more, more so than ever, to be getting some really good advice from, from people. Um, you know, the, we often talk about it, the importance of having a team mm. on your side. Um, build your team before you build your portfolio is, is a good mantra to have. So, you know, get access to good uh, research information, but also good advice from people who have experience property because a lot of people are stumbling around out there without too many clues about how to proceed. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So, Terry, if people want to get the Price Predictor Index, where do they go? They go to the hotspotting.com.au website, and um, it, it's there amongst our um, stable of reports for sale, and they can just sort of follow the prompts and get themselves a copy of that report. Um, I think that's a really good one because it's um, unlike 
so much of the information out there, um, it's a forward indicator of what might happen with prices, whereas most of the data we get through media is telling us what has already happened with prices. And as we know, the past it doesn't necessarily inform the future, but this is one instance where it does. Yeah, well, it's actually one of the fundamental. We talked about banks earlier, just to segue on that, hang on that point a little bit. We talked about banks earlier getting their data wrong and all of that kind of stuff. The fundamental problem with property valuations, banks, like the, all of these, all of these institutions, all of the automated valuation models, all of that kind of stuff, all look backwards. They all look. They all look at like what has happened, even in the last say ninety days or whatever, and all of that kind of stuff, which is great if markets are flat. But as soon as they're going up. It's wrong. They'll underestimate the prices, and as soon as they're going down, they're wrong. They'll overestimate the prices, and so trying to work out how you can stand on the precipice and look over the edge and see into the distance, I think, is the key for any investor to actually know what's actually going on and what and how to make those decisions. So, I think this is a yeah. great report for that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I have a vested interest, of course, but I do agree. <laughs> awesome, Terry. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up for today? I'd just like to repeat something I said right at the beginning. Um, When the data comes out, um, call logical, domain, whatever, don't read what the media says is in the report. Get the report. It's really easy. It's free, and it doesn't take long to just look at the tables of figures and see what the numbers actually say is happening. You'll be much better informed if you do that. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. Awesome. Terry, as ever, I've, I've enjoyed the discussion. We always have a good time when we uh, when we do these podcasts together. They're always informative and valuable, and I always have a good a good time hanging out with you. So thanks for that, and uh, I look forward to having you on again. Yeah, no, it's, it's always fun talking to you, and in particular, Goose, about these issues, because um, more so than most people around the country actually do understand how property market... You know, I reckon you could count on the fingers of one hand number of people who truly have a, a really in-depth understanding of what the dynamics of property markets. None of them are working for the big banks. None of them are writing articles for media. Um, none of them are economists. Um, but um, you're certainly one of those. And it's always a lot of fun talking to you about property markets. Well, I really appreciate that glowing, uh, that, that glowing uh, comment there. Thanks, Terry. Mate, we'll see you again soon. We'll have you back on the show. See you soon. Okay, great.